Welcome to Neither Here Nor There. Hello. I don't think we've met yet. I don't really know how to introduce myself. I don't have a name. I don't even know how I got here. Something happened at one point, and now I'm here. Where is here? Well, it's in the neither here, nor there. A gap in between space and time. I haven't been able to come. I haven't been able to go. All I've been able to do is sit here and perceive. I've brought you something. We've never met. So I want to show you something you've never seen before. It's a journal. An old one. Found, hardly water damaged, and stranded in an old footlocker jammed between two jagged rocks off the coast of Honigsvog, Norway. This journal contains a story, one told by a young mechanic aboard a submarine, or was. There's so much to show you. I hope you feel prepared. Here is the story of the man who became lost at sea. The year is 1958. The United States government has poured millions of dollars into utilizing nuclear technology in other facets of war. Jeremy Donovan, a mechanic aboard the experimental, highly classified, multi-tiered submarine, the USS Jericho, cataloged his life the second he stepped foot on this vessel. His journal reads as follows. January 8th. 1958. My name is Jeremy Donovan. I don't really know who would want to read this, but the environment here isn't exactly the most welcoming to extroverted types. It's not hostile. I never call it hostile. It's just that being a machinist, you don't really get to talk to anyone much. I'm one of the only two men living this low in the submarine, so it's tough to connect given how far away I'm stationed, but I'm sure I'll warm up to everyone on board eventually. I'm not allowed to disclose any of the onboard components of this sub, but I can say I'm really looking forward to working with nuclear cooling technology. I know this probably isn't something to admit here, but I've been taking a liking to this sea life already. Yeah, it's dark, it's cold, I don't really know where I'm going, but they let me have enough freedom to roam around and play music when I'm off duty. Here's to new horizons. To be a young man with no direction in life, 
Jeremy was, like many young men who joined the military, aimless and confused. He fit the role of a docile, moderately skilled soldier about as well as you would expect. Freshly out of school at 18, he followed in his father's footsteps in hopes that he would find himself abroad. Being at this young of an age allows your mind to become a hyper-malleable ball of clay. To be able to convince a man twice his age to murder on a command is nearly impossible. But to the fresh recruit, it's an entirely different story. If you show me a man with nothing to live for, I'll show you an even more dangerous man, one with every reason to die. January 9th, 1958. I'm still trying to get my bearings. I'm not involved in any of the decision-making here. In regards to when the ship turns or what particular direction we're headed in, this has led to some more embarrassing falls that I'm becoming used to. Around 0900 hours, I was making my rounds in Cooling Bay 9A243085, a number that's become burned into my memory with the monotony of the hourly checks I have to perform on these intricately woven pipes that form this complicated mesh for cooling. The submarine performed what I believe is called a recalibrating dig. It's when the back end swings a bit before executing a tight turn. And I... I ran my head into the mesh of pipes. I was on the ground, sitting there, holding my head in my hands as my blood began to drip in between my eyebrows and onto the floor in front of me. These three guys, I don't know their names, walked in and just... laughed. <laughs> Not hard, but... There was so much pity coming from this one right in the center. I felt his spit trickle on my face as he caught his breath. <laughs> my head still slowly pulsing smaller and smaller waves of blood between my fingers and onto my shirt. I, d I don't want to get hung up on this. I understand the fraternal order of these types of situations. I get that I'm being hazed, it's just... I left a pretty sizable dent on the bottom left quadrant of the web of pipes in Cooling Bay 9A243085. Cooling Bay 9A243085. A name that I've had to write down almost 60 times now. Cooling Bay 9A243085. January 11th, 1958. I guess some of the guys felt bad for me and sent some guy in white to take me up to the observation deck. I've been practically hibernating down near Cooling Bay 9A243085. The submarine has three layers, I guess you could call them, or I thought, until I saw the observation deck up top. The bottom layer is where I and practically I, alone, live. It's where Cooling Bay 9A243085 is. It's where my room is. There's supposed to be someone else on call with me, but 
I don't think I've seen him out. Our shifts alternate. He gets mornings, I get nights. But what is morning and night when you're down here in the pitch-black waters of the Arctic Ocean? I feel like I've heard footsteps meandering the halls, but I've never bothered to get up and introduce myself. I'm trying not to complain, because I've got it really easy compared to the others down here. I can hear from down the hall when they come to check bunks, so I get a bit of a head start on tidying up. I count my blessings and try not to make myself too known. It's just... It gets lonely. I really do miss being able to speak to someone. I don't know what I'm talking about. I think the next time I hear those footsteps, I'll just open up my door and introduce myself. You've been here too, haven't you? You're isolated, either physically or emotionally, and the distance between you and everyone else is growing, like a body dropped from up high into the deep sea. You can feel the surface going away from you, but there's not much you can do to close the gap. It's gotten out of control, and you're plummeting faster. You've been here too, haven't you? There's a second layer, I guess. If you think of this thing like a long, horizontal parking garage. The second layer is where the mess hall is, recreational activities. There's not that much space, so the cafeteria takes up practically all the space we have available. Some guys seem to spend 14 to 16 hours here. Just, uh, playing cards, shooting the shit, gambling on who the next person to hurt themselves on board the ship is. I... I don't really like going there. I typically just get my food and go. Being able to have a safe place to retreat to is probably the most valuable luxury you can have aboard this ship. The layer above that is where everyone else sleeps. Standard living fanfare. Beds rooms, just two incredibly long hallways. I've only passed by this twice now, uh, once when I was boarding the submarine a week ago, and now. I don't like it. The longer I stare down the hallways, the more I feel like it's stretching, if that makes sense. Like I'm a blood cell in a long vein from the top of your head to the sole of your foot. The journey from one side to the other takes an amount of time that can't really be described. Time doesn't feel real sometimes. In the second floor, unfortunately for us, this section was entirely whited out and written over. I, too, have felt like an integral part of a machine that didn't know I existed, too. Like the thousands of mites living on your skin right now, cleaning you, eating you. You wouldn't have noticed them had I not pointed them out to you. This isn't the first time you've learned about them, is it? They've been eating away at you since you were young, and they'll keep eating at you until you're long gone, decaying, in a coffin surrounded by strangers to either side of you. They occupy this space, not you.
the journal continues on top of this whited out section. The top layer is, as I said, the observation deck. A wide open area occupied by incredibly busy hands. Men typing away, arguing over long sheets of paper. Cartographers yelling over where to do the next turn as to not violate laws regarding international waters. It's hell here. The room is built like a... like a reverse water droplet. You know how when water drops into a cup, and there's that divot in the center? It's the reverse of that. A small, wide mountain leading up to the captain of the submarine. I don't really know what I expected when I saw him. My dad always told me about these grizzled war veterans, covered in soot, facial scars, but this man was clean-cut. He looked like a politician. The submarine would rock violently, sending men staggering for a second, but he would stand there, unwavering. A perfectly strong base to a violently wavering world around him. The man in white walked me up to him. He was some sort of officer aboard the submarine. A very serious man never letting go of my arm. He practically dragged me up the steps, which is where I met him, the captain of the USS Jericho. It's embarrassing to admit, but I just stood there, almost trembling. The captain held a stern look before clapping me on the back and saying, Who the hell let you up here? <laughs> I, I kind of stammered, I think. I said something like, Well, you know how it is in Cooling Bay 9A243085. He let out a very polite, knowing sigh before warping his serious gaze into something oddly playful. He grasped me, almost like a hug from a man who'd never hugged anyone before, both hands holding each side of my shoulders and pulling me in where he whispered, Do you want to see what I've seen? How can you say no to that? He put a gentle hand on my back and showed me the way to this very unassuming corner. It's tucked behind all these cabinets. I'll sketch it out here. The drawing shows a large room in a concerningly oblong shape. If you were to measure the interior, it would have been pressed up to the outermost hull of the ship. The dimensions do not add up. Around this corner, the captain took me and the officer up this tight ladder that seemed like it went on forever. The busy sounds of the floor beneath us slowly got quieter and quieter until we were alone. The captain, without speaking, pointed up, and I saw this absolutely massive glass dome. Around it were nearly constant streams of bubbles and flotsam, like debris and stuff from the ocean floor, that bounced off of and around this dome. The shapes are... hard to describe. Not exactly geometric. They... they had this quality to them that you couldn't quite put your finger on, but you couldn't take your eyes off of. It was hypnotic. I felt myself staring into the abyss, growing darker, colder, 
I felt so alone. I'd practically lost control of all my motor skills. I just stood there, neck craned up, helpless, while I took in just how massive the seascape was above me. We really are microscopic specks on something so massive. It wouldn't care if we were eradicated. I don't want to admit this, but it felt like my mind snapped at one point, and I... I imagined the glass cracking. Slowly at first. Then quickly, into massive, spider-like webs. Then shattering, completely drowning me and crumbling my body like paper. That's when the captain, without speaking, grabbed me in the officer's arm, shaking us out of that trance, and guided us down the long, long ladder back to the observation deck. How much time has passed between then and now? Why can I still hear the sound of the glass cracking in my mind? January 13th, 1958. The bullying's getting worse. Everyone around me is staring. They know that I got to see what the captain won't let them see. Just the other day, I swear to you, I was walking with my food back to my cabin, and one guy crossed the hallway wearing this... this bright white shirt, and it scared me, alright? It fucking scared me. I ran headfirst into a suspension apparatus they use for... something, I don't know. Cleaning? That's all we do on this ship is clean. They're staring at me. All of them. They know I've had an experience they can't have. I'm ostracized. I'm alone. What am I talking about? I've always been alone. But you know what they can't take from me? They can't take away. The writing here is incredibly erratic. He doesn't complete a sentence. His letters have grown bigger and more oblong in their shape. The journal, luckily, continues. January 14th, 1958. I've got something to show you. Here in the journal is a large drawing of three concentric circles. They look almost like portals. The furthest outside almost eclipses the boundary of the page. The interior is a large dark blot, with the center looking almost as if he stabbed the book with a fountain pen. The journal continues. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't... I... No. I deserved this. I deserved all of this. Lonely Jeremy in Cooling Bay 9A243085. He got to see this. I broke protocol. You only leave your area to head to the mess hall or back to your station. But ever since that day... I've had the observation deck in my mind. I had to go back. So with authority, I marched my way up the stairs, through the mess hall, down those long, twisting hallways, and up to the observation deck. I've found that you can get away with... a lot, if you walk with purpose. All you need is a sour look on your face and a box of engineering tools. So I walked in, set my tools down, and just started looking around. 
tapping at the sides of monitors, messing with a level. If you were paying any attention to me, you would have known that I was faking it. But then, I had an opening. Two men started to shout at each other. One of them disagreed over topography, something along those lines. It almost felt like a riot seeing one man grab the other by his shirt. We've all gotten used to dulled emotions down here, so seeing such an explosion of passion really did jolt everyone on the floor awake. It felt impossible to take your eyes off of, if you were invested in it. In the cloud of the chaos, I snuck up the ladder, leaving my tools tucked behind the cabinet, and slowly trudged my way higher and higher up the ladder, until, suddenly, I was home. It was like I picked up right where I left off. It was ecstasy. The beautiful contours of the streams of water and air bouncing off the glass. My eyes stopped darting after a bit and I just focused on the dead center of this middle pane of glass. It was an unusually dark spot. So dark that I thought it was messing with my depth perception. My eyes kept focusing in on the pane of glass, but I kept trying to look through it. I guess I let out a small, frustrated gasp or something, because that very second, I saw an eye open. This wasn't an optical illusion. This was an eye. The lid shot open, and I knew this had to be a giant squid. The beautiful dance of its tentacles bathed in the reflection of the spotlights from our submarine. It was intoxicating. Every movement, completely unpredictable in its rhythm as it cut through the water. Tangling itself around the still visible jet streams I had now come to love. I stood there in amazement. Such a beautiful creature, here, with me, alone. It must have done a turn around the sub. I lost it for a second, but when it returned, I saw the eye. But this time, it lit up the room. It was bright. It was... It was hot. I felt the skin on my body start to tighten up. I felt the blood in my veins stand still. I felt like a balloon, two breaths away from imminent destruction. In my mind, I was pleading with it. Please, stop. I need you to stop. You're hurting me. But the eye persisted. The light from the eye became blinding. It was like I was staring directly into a fog light. It felt like God himself had opened a portal and shown me a glimpse of another world. He... He invited me there. My eyes burned so bad, I couldn't remember the last time I blinked. My legs buckled, but my neck stayed craned up. I dropped down to my knees, trying my hardest to raise my hands to block out the light. I became a broken man. I was completely at the mercy of the giant squid. I... I started to cry. I wept, but the light kept tightening me. I felt the pressure on my chest. 
I felt like I was being peeled by the hands of God. It wasn't until I completely collapsed onto my back, legs folded underneath me, that the eyes shut closed, then darted away, in what looked like a cloud of ink. I just sat there, trembling. Why did you show me a glimpse of heaven? Why are you invite? What are you inviting me to? How can I get there with you? I need your gaze again. I need your gaze. I need your gaze. I need. I need your gaze. Some fish, some aquatic life, in the dark depths of the oceans, can emit light. Small tips of their bodies to lure in prey to their brutal deaths. In the submarine, we are on their turf now, and their lure is just within grasp. You want to reach out. You want to touch it. Don't you? The journal continues. January 21st, 1958. I'm sorry. I haven't written in a week. I feel like I'm drowning. I've been back. Up there, I mean. Did the same routine. Walked in with a box of tools. Slipped up the ladder. I stared out for a bit, but all I ever saw was... Black. Not even black-black. Just... Nothing. A painful void. There's a hole here, and something's been taken from me. I've been wandering around the ship. Sub, what do you even call this thing? And I've been... I hate to admit this. Taking things. It started with a screw. I was doing my hourly maintenance in Cooling Bay 9A243085. It's simple enough. Is the pressure gauge not in either red zone? Check. When you twist the handle, does steam come out? Check. That intricate webbing of pipes that you fell into, is it still dented? Check. That's not on my list. That cannot go on my list. I can't stop thinking about the glass cracking. The spider web. The gateway to something beautiful. It... It's making me do things I shouldn't be doing. Today, during the 1,400-hour sweep, I saw a screw sticking out slightly from a wall bracket for this pipe. I took my flathead screwdriver from my toolbox and just twisted it the other way. I got such a rush. I pulled the screw out of the hole, and here it is. I taped it to this page. I, I still have it. I'm, I'm not putting it back. The release I got from taking something so critical, it feels... therapeutic? It's like a... it's like mastering a painful moment and replaying it. But this time, you are the one in control. There is evidence of adhesive on this page, but the screw is nowhere to be found. The journal continues. January 22nd, 1958. I'm getting in fights more often. 
The other day, I walked up to the mess hall and grabbed a guy I knew had been staring at me, trying to scare me. I'd never been in a fight before, and he threw me. He screamed at me. Knock it off, before throwing me into the chairs they had stacked up against the back of the mess hall. They fell on me, crushing my body under the weight of them. One hit my head and shoved my face into the tile below. People were laughing, but I got up and charged at him. He beat the shit out of me. I can hardly open my jaw. The medic aboard the sub said he kept wailing on me even after I stopped moving. They were worried that I stopped breathing at one point. I have to write everything I want to say in this shit now. It hurts so fucking much to speak. I've never felt so alive. January 24th, 1958. It's getting worse. This burning thought in my head. I can feel him staring at me through the walls. He needs me. They all need me. I saw, I saw, what we all should have seen. A glimpse into something other than this cold, lifeless... Fuck. I've been stealing more. The other day, during inspection, I slipped a straight pipe, one of those overhead ones, into my pant leg. There's thousands of them overhead. You'd never notice. I looked my commanding officer right in the eyes and told him everything checked out, and he believed me. The ship is slowly becoming mine. I remember reading about Jonah, from the Bible, in the belly of the whale. And ever since I was little, I always wondered why he didn't fight his way out. A whale swallowed you, Jonah. If that were me, I'd be pulling on ribs, squeezing his heart, jumping on his lungs. You're an ant to him. He confused you for krill, but he didn't chew you. You're still the man you were seconds before. You were undetected. You can be the menace. You can be the mole on the inside. You can be the one who brings the whale to his knees. I'm a much bigger problem than you could ever plan for. The journal is... missing pages. Several days appear to be torn out in rapid succession. Speaking of, I want to talk to you about the condition of the book. The corners of this book are... sharper than you would imagine a journal being. The top left corner is practically a scalpel, and seems to be used as one as the first and second page are blotted with crimson-red spots that bleed through one another. Several pages are missing, as I said before, but the book has virtually no water damage. The footlocker, as designed, was meant to float to the surface. The submarine, the USS Jericho, was designed to be able to submerge and have something for the sailors to cling to as they grew tired from the frigid waters of the Arctic. How this journal made it from the depths of the sea to the surface without incurring any damage is, in itself, its own mystery. The journal continues. January 30th, 1958. I made one last attempt to contact the giant squid. I did my usual routine. I got my box of tools. I walked up the stairs through the mess hall, down the long twisting corridors of the bunks, then up to the observation deck. 
After climbing up the ladder, I looked out the glass, and this time, I saw something. An undulation here, an unexpected curve there. Everywhere my eyes darted, the squid was just out of reach. That's when I noticed, for the first time, I was able to walk around. First walking, then running. I bolted from one side of the glass to the other. Each time the squid would bob down and to the left, pivot turn, be on the other side of the ship when I stared immediately into the center of the glass. When I finally calmed down and collected myself, I swear to you, he, he was right behind me. I didn't look this time. I just stood there, with my back facing him. I could almost feel the iris leaving a perfect concentric circle in the dead center of my back. I was seen. I raised one hand to let it know that I was willing to listen, and then I was bathed in the light of the eye. But this time, it didn't hurt. It lifted me. What was the piercing gaze of God himself became the warm touch of a knowing hand. I opened my eyes and saw my silhouette there, bathing in the light. My shadow took no definite form. It was oblong, wavering. What was humanoid became ethereal, then anthropomorphized again. It felt like as I hung there, staring for hours. I lowered my hand and I swear to you, I saw through my shadow. I saw time as a straight line. Time was an age. It was a means in which we need to travel from one point to another. I saw a world free of pain. I saw the faces of the people I'd loved but was never sure I'd see again. I saw this section is whited out and written on top of. The journal continues. It is so overwhelming to be shown so much in so little time. I was completely in awe of what stood behind me. In a fit of... Delirium? I don't know. I raised both my hands and the light intensified. My body dissolved. I was no longer tied to this world. I was... Free. I was a completely free man. I know what I need to do. Goodbye. I'll be seeing you soon. Young Jeremy had been stealing small pieces here and there over the course of the last week. What was first a small screw, a virtually useless piece in the grand scheme of the organs of the USS Jericho, became a hand pump, which became a pressure gauge, which became pipes, which became the closing and opening of critical valves leading to the uranium-235 rods of cooling bay 9A243085. A small man, roaming freely, completely unaware of the beast he inhabits, was slowly being able to leave his mark 
to strike at the critical points of the body without detection. Have you heard of Ling Chi? One of the most brutal forms of torture anyone could experience was Ling Chi, or death by 1,000 cuts. An agonizing process only given to the most heinous offenders of society. Tied to a post, slowly slicing at someone's flesh until the perforations of the skin became one entirely open hole for blood to escape from. Watching as a dam slowly opens, pouring out one of the only things that are truly ours until the life left their eyes and they were gone from us. What is a screw to the hull of a nuclear submarine? Cut. What is one of 10,000 pressure centers to the belly of this machine? Cut. What is a pipe to a complicated network of brass veins keeping the ship alive? Cut. Jeremy had become a surgeon, slicing at the body meticulously without anyone detecting him. An anesthetized patient in the hands of someone they believed they could trust. There are 206 bones in your body. Concentrated in key areas, these can be densely packed. Would you notice if I removed a bone from your wrist? What about your ankle? No. You would not. Well, what if I pulled your spine? Jeremy was no one, a deeply uninteresting, ordinary man. By closing two major valves to relieve pressure from the belly of the USS Jericho, he caused a meltdown. An enormous pressure built up inside the submarine until panels blew off the walls and allowed the black water of the deep sea to pour in without any resistance. The human body, on the surface of this planet, experiences one atmosphere of pressure. At the bottom of the ocean, the pressure exerted on the USS Jericho was near 1,000 atmospheres, roughly calculating to almost 15,000 pounds per square inch. The human body, when exposed to this, immediately collapses. The delicate network of bones surrounding your lungs break as your body folds in on itself like origami paper. The process is nearly immediate, too. Unless you choose to run and delay the inevitable, bodies contort unbelievably fast under these pressures, as backs could fold in half as corpses are thrown to the intricate webs of pipes in front of them. Upon the explosion, the submarine would have split in half as it tumbled down and down to the ocean floor. Here at the impact site, as reports have shown, there was evidence of something guiding the submarine to the ocean floor. Long, tentacle-like appendages leaving massive indentations around the hull of the submarine, almost like it was trying to crack it open to get something out of it. The site of the crash, as it was found weeks later, was composed of mostly bloated bodies littering the ocean floor, slowly being consumed by different bottom feeders not yet catalogued, and various pipes 
bursted and scattered for nearly half a mile in every direction. Not much was left at the impact site that was salvageable. A few footlockers remained airtight sealed and stuck on the non-detonated back half of the USS Jericho. Inside of these footlockers were... nothing interesting. A few pairs of clothes, one heavily used magazine, various forms of illegal contraband that would never be catalogued and would be chosen to be left at sea. What was found was a footlocker that washed ashore several years later, containing the very journal I've been reading to you. This, two pairs of casual clothes, a record sleeve, and one hand-drawn picture of a silhouette, arms raised, palms facing the ceiling. Standing behind it is a massive eye, glowing, warping the light and lines all around it. Jeremy saw something all those years ago, and was convinced that it was a giant squid, sent there by God to give him his mission to bring others to the world beyond this world. There is a problem here, though. Giant squids have never been native to the coasts of Honigsvog, Norway. What did Jeremy see that night? Who sent it? And why was it trying to pry him out? We will never know what happened to Jeremy. His body, like dozens of others, were never recovered. All we have now are theories and conjectures. Do know that when the eye perceives you, do not look back into it. You may see something, after all. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Neither Here Nor There is a bi-weekly horror joint writing and audio production project. The music for this show is provided by Cryo Chamber. A link to their band camp is in the description. <laughs>